Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. In this church, Christ is the head. He gets the credit for every good thing that's happening. And I cannot say a big enough thank you uh, to each of you that I get to be part of what God's doing through you. I was uh, standing backstage and I was listening to all of you sing during that last song. And it was just moving me emotionally, just hearing your hearts of worship to Jesus Christ, our King. is just amazing. It's amazing to think every Sunday there's a church in a building in Kenya that you funded. It's amazing to think that right now there's a church building in Carmel getting remodeled this time next year. It'll, the Lord willing, be full. Be praying with us for that, that Fishers is up and running, that Avon's meeting every week, and we're full every service here. It's just amazing what God is doing through each of you. Well, if you're our guest, you've joined us for a new series. It's called Kings and Queens. It's all about the relationships in your life and the reality that God's love letter to you, the Bible, uh, is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's actually a very practical guide to finding your meaning and your purpose in life. And that includes a guide to relationships. If you feel stuck in a relationship, if you feel like a relationship is broken beyond hope, I would encourage you, be here with us every weekend in February to hear the hope of God for your relationships. Well, I've been married for about 16 years. My wife, Mel, and I would have looked down on what I'm about to describe to you just a few years ago, but, you know, culture changes and it's dragging us along with it. Some nights when we're watching TV late at night and we're relaxing at the end of the day, we will find ourselves, both of us, on our phones scrolling through funny videos and sending them to each other, talk about ADD, <laughs> while the TV show is going, and, uh, and then laughing and, and whatnot. So the other night, uh, here's one that she sent me. I think it really hits the nail on the head for finding that perfect life partner who will complete uh, everything that you need in a relationship. Feel free to chuckle as you take a look. One day you're gonna wake up and roll over next to somebody that's completely obsessed with you. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Like if only dating and marriage were as easy as dog ownership, that's, uh, that's a much easier relationship. Here's another one, I sent her this one about the fairy tale of married life, especially for you ladies um, you know, after you marry us, Prince Charming's what we're actually like. Go ahead and take a look at this one. Honey, are you any of your kiss? You, come on, sleeping. <laughs> All right, this next one, I have to disclaimer, lest you accuse me of gender stereotyping, that my wife sent this one to me. She found it funny. Uh, also, you should know the husband in this one, he's got a pretty thick accent, so we've put some captions, some subtitles in. Uh, try to follow along, because uh, at least Mel and I found this one pretty funny. Go ahead and take a look. Hey, 
Good morning, everyone. Today we, we want to use Instagram for something more serious. Um, I want to publicly apologize to my wife, my beautiful wife, because I raised my voice. I actually yelled at her last night in her dreams. So I want to fully apologize for that. I also want to apologize because I ordered food the other day and I asked her if she wanted and she said no, so I actually didn't order food for her when I should have known that she was hungry and what she wanted to, to order. She wanted salpicao, I should have known that. And um, lastly, lastly, I want to also to apologize because the other day she was coming down the stairs and I was sitting in the sofa reading a book and she got scared and, and her her heart pound and, and I should have known not to be sitting in the sofa reading a book on a Tuesday 6 p.m. in my own house because I can shock her. So yeah, that's it. Hi, happy, happy weekend, everyone. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the best one by far, but you know, hopefully if you're new here, you're getting the sense we try not to take ourselves too seriously at this church. We take God seriously, we take his word seriously, but you know, it's a great thing when you can be far enough along in your relationship that you can acknowledge your quirks and laugh together about them. And that's our hope. If you're not there yet, by the end of this series, you will be. Uh, in this series, we're really asking the question, what if we all treated each other like royalty? Because the New Testament actually describes followers of Jesus as sons and daughters of the king. So we're princes, we're princesses, we're kings, we're queens. What if we treated each other that way? How could our homes change? How could our church change? Uh, God refers to the church, which is not primarily a building, it's the people. He refers to it as the household of faith. So everything we're learning in this series, it applies to marriages. It applies to parent-child relationships. Uh, if you're dating, I cannot encourage you enough, be here every weekend because these are the things I wish I had known before I had gotten married. And you can start to do work ahead of time so that your marriage will be easier when you start it. Whether you're divorced, widowed, an aunt, uncle, grandparent, uh, wherever you are, these are principles that 360 degrees around you, every relationship at work, at home, in your neighborhood, these apply. And especially here within the family of the body of Christ, uh, this is how God would have us be living. And we're going to learn not just what to do, but the power to do it. Right now, I wonder if you would, just between you and God, no one else can see there in your mind, just identify one relationship that right now with a simple prayer, you'd say, God, I want to see you work in that relationship here in the month of February as I learn from your word how to do relationships. Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, maybe it's a parent-child relationship. Maybe you're a dad of a perfect daughter, and she married a total bozo, and he's your son-in-law, and no man would ever be good enough for her, but it's been many years, and she's committed to him, and maybe it's time that you say, hey, God, would you help me treat that bozo the way that I'm supposed to? Uh, whoever it is, just, just right now, Holy Spirit, who, who is it that um, you want to do a miracle in my relationship with here in this series. Uh, one of the universal experiences of relationship is the moment when your expectations are not met. Uh, even that last funny video that was, was kind of alluding to it of times where like, well, you should have known. Uh, and we all have that when you feel the sting of unmet expectations. 
this is uh, common in marriage especially. When Mel and I first got married, we had known each other for eight months. So, by the way, I think we'd both say we don't recommend that. Probably good to know who you're marrying a little bit better. But, uh, you know, thankfully, we had Jesus in our life and he got us through. Our first seven or eight years of marriage were very difficult. And if we hadn't had Jesus, we wouldn't have stuck together. It wouldn't have worked. But we did. And we hung in there. And he has taught us a lot of things. One of the things uh, that came up really early on as far as unmet expectations is that um, I'd be at my office. I was a journalist at the time. And Mel would call me around five o'clock. And she'd say, hey, what time do you think you'll be home for dinner? And I'd say, I mean, it depended on the day. I'd say, I don't know. I'm still waiting for calls back from these two sources. I've got to rewrite the end of the article. It could be seven. It might be eight. I don't know. You know, don't wait up for me. And then I'd, you know, work. This is the way my career was. I was a total workaholic. I'd been a neglected kind of youngest kid. I'd lived as a bachelor on my own out of college for a few years. I just wasn't really used to checking in with anyone. So then I'd finally get home, you know, 8 p.m., 10 p.m., whatever it was, and she'd be mad at me. She'd be mad at me because she expected that I'd come home at, you know, five or six every day like a, a sane person. And then we came from very different family systems. So my family system, if you had conflict like that, you'd just go to opposite ends of the house and ignore each other because we don't do conflict in my family of origin. Her family, um, they do conflict and they do it verbally with a little bit of volume. And so for me, having not experienced that before, I'd show up, I'm tired, I'm ready to like see my best friend and connect. She's upset, she's angry, I feel like she's yelling at me. So then what do I do? I grab my car keys, I'm like, well, forget this. I'm just gonna go back out and do something else. I'll see you at bedtime. And, and can you imagine just how happy of a home that made? Just a beautiful little Christian home, right? <laughs> But what I'm describing is kind of a cycle. She had uh, expectations as well as needs that I wasn't meeting. And then the way I would respond to that would set her off more, which would set me off more. And it was this cycle. And it took us too long. It took us about eight years to learn that that's just a little system that either of us can set off at any time. And once you're aware of it, you can step outside of it. You can start to outsmart it, which we still do now most of the time. But, um, you know, we all have these times where our expectations are unmet and it stings. But now I want to go a level deeper. Because what I described, a very real relationship dynamic, but neither of us was doing anything evil or bad. We were just from two very different worlds and had to figure out how to come together as one. But if you're in relationship long enough with any human other than Jesus, you'll find that they are a sinner. And so there will be things they do that aren't innocent. Things they, maybe they lie to you. They break your trust. They're hurt, so they do something malicious to hurt you back. And that's kind of this next level. What can you do when your expectations for good are met, not just with a miss, but with actual hurt or harm? And I know in my life, I'm guessing you can relate to this feeling. It's a very visceral word. It's a physical word, but... The word disemboweled. There are times when you're so hurt by someone you loved and trusted that it just feels like someone ripped out your stomach. Do you know that feeling? What, what can we do in our relationships when the pain is that deep? Because it's not an if the pain is that deep. It's when. What can we do? 
Does God speak to this? And if God could today from his word lead you in your relationships so you know what to do when you're feeling that pain. And also so that as a household, you each walk in this new way and there's less of that pain. Would you want to know what he says about it? Well, we're going to find uh, all through the month of February guidance on this. Today we're in a book of the Bible called Colossians and we're in the third chapter of it. And I point this out because in our time, I will scratch the surface of Colossians 3. There's much more in here. And if you don't yet have a Bible you enjoy reading, we'll give you one at any of our locations or online. We'll mail you one. It's called the Life Application Study Bible. And what's great about it is uh, there are footnotes with each verse that help you apply it to your life. So I want to encourage you this week, try to read Colossians 3 every day. It's a pretty short chapter. And I think God will continue speaking to you beyond this message as you open your Bible. Don't be a perfectionist about it. If you miss a day or two, don't beat yourself up. This is not to earn your way to heaven, okay? This is just to help you go a little bit deeper and apply what we're learning today. Here's a theme that you'll find in that chapter. When you're hurt, when your expectations aren't met by someone you trusted or you hoped they would meet your expectations, your next move brings either death or life to that relationship. And if you get in the pattern of responding in the way that brings death and you keep choosing that over and over, it, it could kill the relationship. And the good news is this. If your relationship came in here on life support, your relationship is on its last breath, you're both about to throw in the towel. Um, if you start to choose the path of life, we have a God who raises dead things to life. We have a God who can turn around marriages that from a human perspective were totally hopeless. We have a God who can restore parent-child and other estranged relationships. So you can't control that other person, but you can control if you'll start choosing that path that leads to life. Now, I've been studying relationships for a couple decades now. First, as a journalist, when I was a writer in the news media, the kind of reporting I did was very in-depth writing. I would do profiles where I would hang out with the person, usually kind of a celebrity or someone, and I would almost live with them. Other than sleeping at their house, I would see their entire daily routine. Every story I did, even crime stories, there's always a relationship aspect to it. And now I've been a pastor for more than 10 years, and I've watched relationships through this lens of couples coming for marriage counseling and couples struggling with different things. And I've noticed something, we'll see it in Colossians 3, but I've noticed that there is a cancer relationally that we're capable of carrying around and not knowing. And if you have this cancer in you, it will destroy your relationships it, to such an extent that you could be married to the most ideal spouse out of 8 billion in people uh, in the world, the, the number one best man or woman, and you're married to them, but if you have this cancer, you'll start to only see their flaws. You'll start to think, well, if I was with that person who you only see the facade of, then I would be happy. That person would get me. That person would care for me. This cancer destroys parent-child relationships. It destroys work relationships. It definitely destroys marriages. What is that cancer? Unforgiveness. What is unforgiveness? It is when someone wrongs you and, and you can't get over it. And apart from Christ, sometimes we can't get over it. But unforgiveness is when even as a follower of Jesus, you just refuse to let it go. And you kind of 
replay that wound over and over. Maybe you talk to others about it. Unforgiveness, if it's in your life, will be a cancer on your relationships. And I would encourage you, if that's the case for you, first of all, say, God, if that's the case, show me, because we typically don't see our own flaws. But ask him to heal that here in this month of February. Colossians 3, verse 13, really the heart of this chapter, God speaks directly to this. And he commands us, followers of Jesus, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance of any kind against another Christian, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. When Jesus died on the cross, did he die for 80% of your sins, 98% of your sins? Well, if that was the case, none of us would be getting into heaven. We only get into heaven if we receive the free gift of salvation, which is the reality that he died for 100% of every mistake you've ever made, past, present, and future. And it's a high calling. It's something we can't do without the Holy Spirit in us, but he calls us to forgive others in the same way. This same Bible principle, if we want to get really practical, we could say this, you choose the health of your relationships. You choose it. The moment that you choose how to handle your pain. I've met people who have a trail of broken relationships in their life. No one's ever been good enough. They've always been the victim. Everyone's always been wrong to them. And the reason for that is that they handle their pain by blaming everyone else. Now, I'm not saying that there are some situations in your life where you were totally the victim. Of course, there were some. But if every situation is, then there's a common denominator. And if you choose to handle your pain by blaming everyone else, you're going to have a trail of broken relationships. In that moment when you're hurt, it's such a tender moment. It's such a spiritual moment, what you decide to do. Every week of your life, you face this fork in the road. Every season of life you face it. Here's the fork in the road. If you don't learn to forgive in Christ, your legacy at the end of your life, after your memorial service or your funeral service, when people get in their cars and close the doors and say what they really think about you, it will be a trail of painfully broken relationships. And I know for me, apart from Jesus in me, that would have been my life legacy. I would not have had the patience to figure out how to love Mel, who deserved a way better man than the 20-something-year-old she married. Thankfully, God has, has grown me, and I've still got a lot of growing to do. Because this second option is open. The moment you call out to Jesus to be your Savior, you can learn to forgive in Christ. You can learn to love in Christ. And so your legacy, instead of being a trail of broken relationships, it becomes a tree of life of life-giving relationships, of deeply fulfilling relationships. And you can look back on any decade of your life, or at the very end, you can look back on all the decades, and you can see relationship after relationship where, yes, there were conflicts, yes, there were struggles, but you loved the people enough to work through them and to forgive. This is God's desire for you. This entire series, none of this is meant to shame you or put a heavy weight on you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. So as we learn to do relationships his way, it brings us life. Here's a question. If unforgiveness is a cancer to relationships, I'm guessing most of us would agree that's true. And if we all experience some pains that no matter how hard we try, we can't get over it, we can't forgive, also true. 
then how in the world are we supposed to do this? How in the world are we supposed to do this? Well, let's look into the word of God here in Colossians 3. I've titled this message, How to Have Heaven on Earth Even When It Really Hurts. When it really hurts is when it matters, by the way. When it really hurts is when you're really choosing if you love or not. Now, this says 10 steps. Really, these are like 10 tools. If you're a perfectionist, if you've got a little bit of OCD in you, don't let the 10 freak you out, okay? It's not like if you get nine of these right and you fail at one, the whole thing's a fail. No, just, just pick up the ones that are relevant to you. Uh, ask God to give you wisdom as we go through these. You can take pictures. I'll be moving pretty quickly through these. And as I mentioned before, if you're not yet in a relationship, now's the time to take notes to save yourself as much pain as possible. Because really what a close relationship like a marriage does is it exposes all the gaps in our sense of identity, security, acceptance. And when no one else was in the house with you, you could kind of ignore them and, you know, cope in different ways. But now that there's someone actually looking at you and telling you what you're doing every day, you have to deal with that stuff. So the great news for those of you who are single and dating is that you get to work on this with a little less pain in this season. Here's the first step. Have a high view of God as a resident in your home and also as the president, that is the one who presides over your home. This is where Colossians starts. As usual in the Bible, the solution to our problem doesn't start with us. It's going to involve us. You're going to have to make choices. But the solution starts outside of ourselves. Look at Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised with Christ. Who's been raised with Christ? Anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't yet done that, you could do that in this moment. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died for me on the cross. Would you forgive my sins? Adopt me into the family of God. The moment you pray that prayer from the heart and you mean it, spiritually things change for you. The chains of sin that you were a slave to are broken off of you. You get adopted into the family of God. You have a new identity. And part of that identity is saying here, God's telling us the moment Jesus rose from the dead physically, every believer in history was spiritually raised with him. And now actually there's a part of you, your future self, that is at the right hand of God in heaven. The flawless part of you that you'll, you'll get to kind of be reunited with after we leave this earth. This verse I know can seem a little ethereal, a little metaphysical. I would encourage you to just kind of pray a little prayer even now. God, I want to do this. I want to learn to set my heart on things above. What does that look like in real life? What it means is you start to get heaven's priorities for your daily desires. Um, so here's an example. Most of our priorities would include in the top three, money and financial security. Nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with financial security. But other people would probably be below that. And if we have to step on a few of them to get to our financial goals, you know, so be it. That's how the world works. Now, as a follower of Jesus, the more you set your heart on things above, that is, you're filling your mind with God's ideas, you start to get his priorities. Well, what are his priorities? Well, um, there's God, there's the word of God, and then there's people. Every human being is an eternal soul. And what God sees is that, you know, sometime in the next thousand years or so, maybe sooner, this earth will be melted down, scripture says. Jesus is creating a new heaven and a new earth where, where we will live with him. So uh, this world, 
every retirement account will burn up. Every piece of real estate will burn up. This is the part that tests my faith. Every car. Every car will burn up. And I have not found a verse in the Bible that says there are Porsches in heaven. But I believe there are. <laughs> Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from God. And, you know, he's the author of good, not of evil. So I'm hoping, you know, internal combustion engines will exist in heaven. But I'm getting away from the text here. Here's the next verse. Set your minds on things above. So how do you get your heart to have heaven's priorities? Really, it's by what you put in your mind. Now, setting your mind sounds intimidating, but every time you pick up a TV remote, you're setting your mind. Every time you scroll on your phone, you're setting your mind. Every time you turn on audio while you're driving of a podcast or music, you're setting your mind. So God's not saying you can't watch entertaining stuff or just listen to music that's fun and not spiritual. He's not saying that. But you should have some times where you're setting your mind, maybe while you're driving, you're listening to a sermon again, or you're listening to an old sermon, or you're listening to a devotional or scripture or to worship music. You're having times where you set your eyes on your physical Bible or on the video devotionals that we send out, because what comes in through your ears and your eyes affects your mind. Uh, by the way, I've, I've seen this with social media. I mean, social media can be a real evil, but what's interesting about social media is it gives you what you want. So if you like and save every inspiring Christian post that comes along and every Bible verse, guess what? You'll get more and more of them. If you look at your social media and you're like, everything on here is evil, guess what? It's a mirror. It literally shows you what you tell it you like. And so the idea here is not to shame you or guilt you, but to encourage you to have the kind of relationships God wants for you. It does start with saying, God, my mind belongs to you. And apart from you, I'll never value my spouse the way I should because I'm deeply selfish on my own. And I need you to increase my love for her or ladies for him. I need you to increase my love for you. I need you, Lord, in a world where I do love cars so much, help me to keep it in perspective that they will all burn up someday. And they're not my top three in my priorities. They're a strong four. <laughs> Cultivate a lifestyle of finding your own security, your identity, your acceptance in God. This is really what God's doing at the start of this chapter. He's framing up, you have a deep need from the most grizzled Clint Eastwood man of mans to the most dainty middle school girl, every human universally under all the labels and how they're looking for it is actually looking for where am I secure? Who am I? Identity. Where will I be accepted for who I am? And we all have wounds. Some are traumatic some are just life in a broken world. They're not quite trauma, but they're just, you know, you felt neglected or you felt overlooked because you're a middle child or these, all these emotional wounds that we all have. And the gift of God giving us other people is that other people can help us start to heal on these things. But where we can fall into a trap is if we look to a spouse or anyone to fully meet these deeper needs. There's no one in the world other than Jesus who can meet your deepest need for security. There's no amount of money you can have in the bank, no amount of houses you can have. If you're not secure before God, and, and I've, I've known people through the years 
who are billionaires with a B who feel like they don't have enough. And it's not because they don't have enough. It's because this security thing hasn't been, the work hasn't been done with God. Others of us, it's the identity. With acceptance is approval. You'll find in yourself and a lot of people who are highly motivated, um, they're after approval because they never got it from their parents. And so what Colossians 3.1 is really saying is you set your mind and your heart on things above where Jesus is at the Father's right hand, you're asking the Father to fill in all these gaps, all these cavities that are in your soul. And as he starts to do this, and it's a process, I, I think for me it'll be a process all the way till I get to heaven. But every year I look back and a few more cavities are filled in, but there's still some gaps. But as you do this, it actually starts to take the pressure off of the people around you. Because you're now looking to them in a healthy way, but you're not looking to them in an unrealistic way. If you don't have this kind of relationship with God, you will be putting a pressure on your spouse or maybe your kids or others that frankly, they can't carry. They can't meet your deepest needs in these areas. Okay, next, treat every close relation like royalty. This is all throughout this text, that we are God's chosen people, that we will appear with Christ in glory. So this really, in real life, looks a lot like speaking the virtues of the people you do life with rather than speaking their flaws. Doesn't mean you don't acknowledge a flaw, but, but what is your speech 90% about? Are you letting them know what they're doing well? Are you constantly letting them know where they fall short? Emmett Smith was a big-time NFL player back, I don't know, probably 20 years ago. And when I was in my early 20s, I lived in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is, Emmett Smith did one season, I think, there for Arizona. Well, one of my buddies, we were both like 22 years old, his mom was the nanny for Emmett Smith's kids. So one day he called me, he was like, hey, um, Emmett Smith's taking us to the game. We're going in the player's entrance. It's me and my mom and his kids. And he said, you can come along. Do you want to ride with us? I was like, sure. Frankly, I had hardly ever watched any football in my life at that point. I watch a lot now. Don't reject me. I need acceptance too, okay? So I rode in the back of Emmett Smith's Hummer with his kids, like way back in the third row. We go in the player's entrance, and guess how Emmett Smith's kids were treated by the back office staff and all the people on the way up to the suite? They were treated like royalty. I mean, it's like, these are Emmett Smith's kids, like, you know, give them whatever they want. But it was for me this very vivid picture. Like, what if we all did treat each other like royalty? What if when we looked at sons and daughters in our homes, as well as within our church, we said, that's a daughter of the king. That's a son of the king. That's a little princess. That's a little prince. What if in your marriage, when the other person wrongs you, you set your mind on things above, you said, Father, th this is your daughter, you see what's going on in her heart. <laughs> and you see what's going on in my heart. Will you help me to treat her the way you want me to treat her? Help me to treat her like a queen. What's so interesting about people is if you, if you speak their virtue, if you treat them for who they are in Christ, they have a way of rising to the occasion. And if you beat them down and you speak them down, they have a way of lowering to that. Your words have so much power. Third, step to experience heaven on earth in your home and your relationships is to constantly take off the dirty clothes of your old self. This is a metaphor that God gives us here. 
And I'll show you a couple pictures to visualize it. Here's a kid who got into some Hershey syrup. That's just disgusting. Here's a guy covered in mud. I just want you to get the, the visual here that God describes these traits, which are part of our old nature before Christ, our sin nature. They were the way we lived. We swam in this stuff before we knew Christ. And here's a few of them. Sexual unfaithfulness. So by the way, being sexual is not a sin. God created sexuality. It's a beautiful thing. Satan loves to twist what God means for good and turn it for evil. So don't fall into the lie of thinking, well, I'm a really sexual being, so I must go Satan's way. No, no. God made you that way. Sexuality is great. And God designs it to be within the safety of a committed Christian marriage for your well-being, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually as well. And so sexual unfaithfulness is simply when you direct that natural appetite that you have outside of your marriage relationship. Impurity and lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. In other words, greed is saying, I love money more than God. Most of us wouldn't say that because we go to church, but our actions say it, right? I, I will be secure if I have enough money rather than I will be secure because I have a perfect father in heaven who looks out for me every day, gives me my daily bread. Now, if you're anything like me, those are all things you deal with every week. I do. And so what, what Paul says here, Paul the apostle who wrote this part of God's word, take those off, throw them in the dirty clothes. In fact, he continues the list and he says this next part of the list, these are things to not just take off, but actually throw them away. Anger. And by the way, this list is unique from the other because these become habits. Some of us, we grew up in an angry or a raging household, and so that's all you've ever known. God can change that in you. God can break that family pattern in your generation so that your kids don't grow up with it. Um, any of these, God has the power to change. That, that's why we gather here. If this was just a bunch of do's and don'ts, <laughs> we'd be better off not trying, okay? But the power of Jesus risen from the dead is in you to change that family pattern of anger and rage, to change the family pattern that you've inherited of malice. What is malice? It's nurtured unforgiveness. Unforgiveness grows up like a little weed in your heart from a very real wound that you have. You have a choice through the power of Christ to uproot it. Sometimes you have to uproot it day after day. Or you have the choice to water that by replaying it, telling others about it, Malice is nurtured unforgiveness, and it can become an enslaving, habitual way of life. Slander. What's slander? It's anytime you speak negatively about someone, and they're not in the room, and if they were in the room, you wouldn't say it the way that you said it. That's slander. By the way, because this whole chapter is telling us how followers of Jesus were supposed to look different from the world around us, I'll just point out briefly that you know, different regions geographically have different sin strongholds. All of us could fall into any sin anywhere. But you look at a place like Las Vegas, obviously, when you're looking at this whole list, it's like lust and greed, right? That's Las Vegas. What's the Midwest? What is our signature sin? Slander. Slander. So be especially alert of this one because you're in a, a community where those who aren't following Christ or even Christians who aren't paying attention will fall into this speaking negatively about others when they're not around. Filthy language and then lying. A proverb in the Old Testament says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. Now again, 
Every one of these I've struggled with in my life. And that's why God says every day, kind of look in the mirror spiritually, take off those things. And especially that second list, throw them away. There's a pile of dirty clothes to just give you a visual. Just like take those things off, throw them on the ground. Let's look at the two lists next to each other. I want to make an observation. When you have a wound or an insecurity, the natural thing is that you want to protect yourself because you feel vulnerable. You feel a little bit naked and exposed. And what this list is, is ways that we in our own strength can try to cover up the wounds. I mean, have you ever covered up that someone really deeply hurt you? And instead of saying, you deeply hurt me, you go and slander them to other people? Of course you have. So have I. We all have. Have you ever responded to hurt and instead of saying, that really hurt me, you got angry and you raged? Of course you have. So have I. We all have. The power of Christ is that those things no longer have to control us. Satan, the enemy of your soul, wants you to live in these habits because he knows that then like corrosive, like he will corrode every relationship in your life when you're under these habits, God has a new and better way of life for you. Okay, fourth item here, if you want relationships that are heaven on earth, is to position yourself, this should say, to be being renewed. And, and it's awkward on purpose, because that's the way the Greek grammar is. Be being means it's an everyday process. It never stops. Just like the sun rises every day, I need to be renewed by Jesus every day. The day I stop being made new by Jesus is the day I become a terrible dad, a terrible husband, a terrible employee, a terrible you name it. I need to be made new by him every single day. And that's why verse 10, after it says, take off these old things, says then put on the new self. No one puts on clothes by accident. We actually have to teach our kids to put on clothes. And so there's some effort in this. God provides the power, but you have to provide the effort that you want to put these new clothes on. Uh, positioning yourself, uh, I think of my dogs. We have two dogs. I love them to death. And uh, here's how they position themselves. I don't typically feed them food at the table. So if I'm eating normal meal, they don't come to my feet. There's one food that I feed them from the table. And it's one that I eat a lot. It's a chipotle bowl with steak. There are bits of the steak that I cannot chew up bits of fat that I just, I can't chew up. I never swallow that stuff. Sorry if that disgusts you. So when there's a piece of fat that I can't chew in the steak, you know, I set it on my plate. And then at the end, I divide it 50-50 between the two dogs. So here's what's unique. They position themselves. You know, if I'm eating a chicken bowl, I don't know where they are. But if I'm eating a steak bowl, there's a dog on each side of me and they have positioned themselves. You understand what positioning means? Uh, here's what it looks like with a dog that's thirsty. He's positioning himself. Take a look. Dogs have such strong appetites for food and water and you have just as strong of an appetite to be accepted, to be loved, to be secure. And those are healthy appetites. They're good appetites. God put them in you. But if you don't position yourself at his feet in his presence to get those things from him, 
You're going to be hungry. You're going to be hangry in your soul. You're going to expect the people around you to give you what they can't. And it's going to wear on them. It's going to wear on you as well. So position yourself every day to have your soul fed by the bread of life. Position yourself every day, every night. You have thirsts. You have desires. Say to God, God, I I am thirsty for things that I am not experiencing. Would you be the living water to me? As the eyes of a dog are fixed on their master, may we fix our eyes on God. And here's where it really counts. Where you hurt most is where you need him most. I want you to imagine your heart, your mind, your inner life that no one else has access to as a house. And there's a front door and there's all these rooms in this house. You, with your will, can close that front door and lock it and not let anyone in. It's going to be very hard for them to connect with you if you do that. You can open that front door, and maybe at weekend worship or some other time, you say, God, come on in, and you let him into the entryway, you let him into the living room, some of the common spaces. What I've found in my life, one, I can go days with the front door locked and not even realize I've locked God out of my inner life. Two, I can open that front door and say, God, come on in. I really need you to clean the place up. You know, would you help me? And I'll let him into the living room and the hallway and the kitchen. But there's some stuff down in the basement or up in the attic where I'm so deeply hurt. I'm so deeply gross that I don't let him in those areas. And the point is this, those are the very areas where you need him the most. So invite him in as your father to 100% of the square footage of your heart and your mind. Here's the fifth thing for relationships that bring heaven to earth. Don't view people through broken lenses. And there's a lot you can read on this in Colossians 3. The context is that at this time, Christians were just maybe 30,000 people on earth were Christians. It was about 30 years after Jesus. And racism which is an evil that will sadly be with us until Christ returns, be with us not in the church, but on earth. Racism was just the norm in this culture. In fact, slavery was the norm as well. About 70% of the people in Rome and Greece and in Egypt were slaves at this time. So this is much more revolutionary, verse 11, than we might realize, that God says the church was the first place where all these different races would come together under one roof. And instead of saying, oh, you're the kind that can't be trusted with money. You're the kind that's lazy. You're the kind that's not educated. Oh, you're a slave, and I I was born into the upper class. I mean, you look at human history, it has been social castes like you see in India and classes that don't interact with each other so that people can control others and use others. That's the norm of human history. The church came along, and where Christians have sincerely followed the words of Jesus— which isn't every building that has a cross on it, sadly. But where Christians have sincerely followed the words of Jesus, it has turned human history upside down. And and the greatest abolitionists in history have been followers of Jesus, people like Frederick Douglass, people like William Wilberforce, who were motivated to end slavery and racism, people like Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who were people of the book, And it's what motivated them. But that's a little tangent. The point is here in Colossians, this was radical to say here in the church, there's not Greek or Jew. Well, anywhere else in the city of Colossae, Greeks and Jews didn't mix, but in the church they did. Here, there's not barbarian and Scythian. That's two other races. 
Uh, again, out in Colossae, that city, wouldn't happen. But in the church, you've got Jewish person worshiping next to Greek person, worshiping next to barbarian, worshiping next to Scythian. You've got someone who's a slave and their master's not yet a Christian, so they're still stuck in slavery, worshiping next to someone who's upper class, who was born into a family that had slaves, and they're learning that that's not God's will. And all this is happening. I mean, this is supernatural transformation of relationships. And part of the principle, well, first and foremost, there should never be racism in the house of God. There should never be any kind of bias against another follower of Jesus or even anyone who's made in the image of God. But I also want to apply this principle in your home because we can fall into stereotypes, for example, well, she always yells. He never shows up. This is that same kind of broken thinking, right? They're flawed in that way, and that flaw defines them. Any good counselor will tell you, don't use phrases like, she never, he always. It's just bad form. You're not going to get your relationship better that way. Also, it's not true. She, it's probably physically impossible that she has always yelled every word of her life. Maybe 98% of the time, but it's not always. And you can't say he never shows up because you wouldn't know him if he hadn't showed up the first time, right? And, but the point is this, we can fall into labeling the people we live with with the same kind of self-serving malice and hatred that expresses itself through racism. We can have that same kind of malice toward people we live with as we get bitter and we're not forgiving and we're holding every mistake they've made over their head and they can never get out from under it. In a similar way, there are stereotypes that our culture puts on men and women that are unrealistic. So, you know, Mel learned this pretty fast, that the average male hero in a Nicholas Sparks romance novel does things that I don't do. And the reality is the heroes in the romance novels are fabricated fiction. They, those guys don't exist. They're an idea. In the same way, there's a lot of images of what a woman should look like that are just not real. Even the women who are in the images will tell you, that's not really me. That's me on my best day with the best lighting with Photoshop, and the next day I had zits and I had bad breath. But men, we, we can fall into, women, we can fall into this you're supposed to be this thing, and the thing that our world says we're supposed to be, it doesn't actually exist. You look at the celebrities or the Instagram influencers who lead the visual of what that thing is, and they have a trail of divorces. Not, not because necessarily it's bad to be in those professions, we need Christians in those professions, but real life is so much different than a facade, and I just want to encourage you to let go of unrealistic expectations, is what I'm saying. Ladies, every man will struggle with some things. It doesn't give him permission to not struggle and give up, but don't beat him up for being a man. You married a man. Men, every woman will struggle with some things. It's not permission that she doesn't work on them, but don't beat her up for being a woman. You married a woman. And humans... Every human being will struggle with some things. So let's show each other grace. Let's receive grace. Let's not villainize each other for being human. Because guess what? We have flaws too. And if we're villainizing everyone else, we don't want to be judged by that same 
measure. Okay, number six, clothe yourself intentionally. I'm going to cruise through these last ones. So after you've taken off the old things, what are you supposed to put on? Put on compassion. That means I'm going to slow down and think, boy, I don't understand why you feel that way about what I did, but I'm going to slow down and I'm going to understand it. Kindness. I'm just going to be kind to you. Humility. Well, I think you're wrong and I'm totally sure you are. Humility says, I'm going to listen and consider that maybe I'm a little wrong too. Gentleness. What a great attribute to just be gentle with one another. Be patient. Every one of us is a work in progress. So we pictured taking off the old clothes. Here's just one visual of kind of this idea. Every day spiritually, we take off the old. We remind ourselves who we are in Christ, in our Heavenly Father, and then we put on the new compassion, gentleness, kindness. And then number seven, choose a lifestyle of forgiving and re-forgiving. You've heard the stories perhaps of Jesus when he was asked, how many times should I forgive this person who sins against me? And he says seven times 70, which in their culture is kind of like infinity times infinity. When it comes to forgiveness, refusing to forgive reveals that you don't really realize what God has forgiven you. And I'm not going to camp on this. I'm not here to twist the knife. But I do want to say this. If unforgiveness is a defining trait of your relationships, make this the month, February 2024, that you bring that stronghold to God for him to break you free of it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a lady, gather some ladies around you. If you're a man, grab, gather some men around you. If you don't know where to start, see a pastor after service here and just say, here in this month of February, we're going to pray for the breaking down of this stronghold of unforgiveness. Because while a follower of Jesus cannot be possessed by a demon, they can't come to live in you because the Spirit of God does, we can absolutely fall into traps of behavior that were set by the enemy that can become strongholds in our life. And so if this is a constant struggle with forgiving, uh, meet it head on with the power of Christ. And also, you might just double check, have you really received salvation? Not just going to church and doing Christian-y things. I think some people, they were born in a Christian family. They've kind of always gone to church, so they assume they're a Christian. But maybe if you're really struggling with forgiveness, maybe you've never had that real moment of repentance before God where you grieved your own sin, and believed in him to cover it, and really believe all my mistakes, past, present, and future, are covered. When we grasp that, how could we not forgive the mistakes of others? Okay, cultivating a lifestyle. I'm bookending now. This is where we started. The goal, cultivate a lifestyle where you find these deep needs that you have in Christ. And then that's what these last three have in common. Eight, nine, and ten. We'll just do in one swoop here. Let love be your defining trait. That's the overcoat. You put on all these new clothes. Love's the defining trait. So when you bump into someone, love is what they feel. Again, this is not in our own nature. But God can do this in you. No matter your family of origin, your personality, it could be true of you that when people talk about you and you're not around, they say, he is just one of the most loving people I've ever met. She is one of the most loving, kind people I've ever met. God can do this in you. Choose Christ as ruler. Let Christ rule in your hearts, the text says. In other words, every home 
is in an alpha struggle. You know how dogs, there's alpha males or alpha females? Every home has an alpha struggle. Every social system has an alpha struggle. Every toddler-parent relationship has an alpha struggle. What if you decided, hey, you know what? Who rules in our household? You say your address, you say this home. Who rules here? Christ does. So no matter how hurt I am, no matter how much I've been wronged, I answer to him and I'm going to respond the best I can the way he would want me to. Tenth, the text says to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so a really practical application there is to flood your home, your car when you're driving, your mind with worship music. Uh, be speaking and singing truths of God. It helps us to remember these things. Well, I could go on. There's more in Colossians 3, but I want to encourage you, make this a month where you fight for your relationships. Stop fighting against each other. Stand side by side, lock arms, and say, we're going to fight for this household. We're going to fight for this marriage. We're going to invite Christ to be the ruler. We're going to see him fill the deep needs in us that no one else can. And we're going to literally see him bring heaven to earth in our house. Let me pray that for you today. Father, Oh God, I pray right now every single soul who has deep unmet needs and deep hurts, we've been wronged. God, I pray that every single one of us would find our identity in you and that you would fill those gaps. We want to set our hearts and minds on things above. That sounds like a really hard thing to do, but would you just help us find our identity in you? Help us treat those around us like the spiritual royalty they are. God, I pray against the enemy where he has strongholds of unforgiveness or other things, that you'd break those down this month of February. You'd change husbands, that you'd change wives, you'd change grandparents, and aunts and uncles, that you'd change sons and daughters, and change us as a church. It's a beautiful body of Christ here, but we want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be more compassionate more kind, more gentle. We, we want to be more forgiving. And we want this cloak of love to be our outer garment that everyone who runs into us runs into your love. These are things we can't do apart from you, but Jesus, you're in us. And we have everything necessary for life and godliness in you. So lead us in this. We pray this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.